0: All right, we are back this week. Oh, oh, oh! What just happened? There we go. So last week we looked at those first two verses of Philippians, and we looked at a lot of background and that introduction to the book through those first two verses. Um, and but we left out one aspect, which I did intentionally, um, because I it. It's the timing and the circumstances that Paul was in. Um, And and I did that intentionally because we wanted to look at it in particular this week, with this week's passage. So we're going to start with that and then dig in to where we are in in Scripture itself. Um, So there are some people who debate some of this, but the traditional view and most widely accepted view is that Paul was in Rome when he wrote the book of Philippians. Now, if you remember, Philippi, Philippi the city, was was little known as Little Rome, right? So if he's in Rome, he's going to have a lot of reason to think about the Philippian church. Um, But if he was in Rome as he wrote it, that would mark it between 60 and 62 AD during his first Roman imprisonment. And based on how he talks about expecting to make the trip to Philippi, the expectation of a coming trial, probably more during the second half of this imprisonment, um, so 61 to 62 AD is probably a more precise time time frame. but based on so so this would have been ten years or so after he had last visited Philippi. Um, and we see we will see, uh, as we continue through the book more about what is happening with Paul uh, and and what is happening while he's in prison. But we remember he's able to write letters, but he's facing a trial. Uh, but he would have had companions that traveled between Rome and Philippi. and That was a a path that would have taken about 800 miles to go. Um, Based on the information in the letter, for news to travel back and forth, it would have taken four to six trips if it were just basic, like 40 days for a normal person to travel. but, because it was Philippi to Rome, there would have been imperial imperial couriers who would have traveled much faster and would have had it using carriages or horses or other types of things and and so because of that special connection, some of those trips for news to travel back and forth could have been knocked it down to to fifteen to twenty days so less than half the time that it would have taken. Um, so we just wanna think about Paul is sitting in jail, writing this letter, 61, 62 AD, so he's been in prison for at least a year at this point in time. Um, it would have been quite the miserable circumstance, right? He, he's in prison, so no freedom, Been there for at least a year, probably more likely two years. Unknowns about his future. And as we'll see later, his friend Epaphroditus was sent to him and then became ill. And and so here comes Epaphroditus to try to encourage him. Yet Paul is trying to help him recover from this this big sickness. Um, And so... That's, that's the mindset we need to put ourselves in for Paul as, as we go to read this prayer that he writes um, in verses 3 through 11. And so we're going to start by reading the whole passage, and then we're going to break it down into smaller chunks. So a lot of you are going to have like one verse, maybe two or three verses, but we're going to start with whoever has Philippians 1, 3 through 11, the whole passage. So just like most of Paul's epistles, he begins with a prayer. And how does Paul start the prayer? With thanksgiving. He's thankful just thinking about the Philippians. So let's reread verse uh, Philippians 1 verse 3. I thank my God
2: in all my remembrance of you.
0: Why is it important to thank God for the people in our lives? They're a gift from him. What else? Well,
2: that's how God chooses to work. How else? He can do miracles and do it, but it's to do it mostly through people.
0: He works through his people. Yeah. They've all spoken into our lives in one way or another. They've spoken into our lives. That's exactly right. In lots of different ways. Yeah, and it takes our attention off ourselves, doesn't it? If you had pride going into your prayer, but you start by thanking God for all these other people, the pride's gone. Um, And it puts the attention back on the creator as we thank him for all of these people, all these things. And so Paul is thankful for the Philippians, and he shares that first and foremost with God in his prayer. And then in verse 4, it says something interesting. So Philippians 1, verse 4. So, how does he pray for them? With joy. With joy. Now, where is Paul when he's writing this? In prison. In prison. He is sitting there awaiting trial. For something that, if you read the end of the book of Acts, for something he is confident he did not do, yet he has a mindset to thank God for people and to do it with joy. So Rome was a center of pleasure and entertainment. The people had access to just about anything they could desire. Um, And yet Paul was probably the happiest man in the city in jail. Paul was joyful and grateful despite his circumstances, and it is something that would definitely be a challenge for many of us. And yet Paul, throughout this letter, uses the word joy or rejoice repeatedly in this book, 11 times in four chapters we see that. You know, the world today seeks out joy wherever they can. The next big thing, a promotion at work, a new car, a new house, the dream vacation, success for our kids or grandkids. We strive for things, a degree, safety, security, money. We put these functional gods in front of the one true God. And yet Paul, sitting in jail, Awaiting an unknown future, was confident in who God was and what Jesus had done for him and what Jesus had given him for the future. He didn't care about comfort, security, or even how long he had left to live. He knew that God was good, and God held his future, and God was with him, so he could rejoice. And so he prays with joy for whom? Yeah, the Philippians. It wasn't a trick question. It was. (laughs) The key word there, it's all of you. He prays with joy for all of the Philippians. Even the ones that he will be rebuking later in the letter. He, He doesn't pray with gratitude and joy and then forget the conflict. He will address it but he doesn't let the conflict crush his joy. It's not that he enjoys the conflict, but that he rejoices despite it. And now did anyone read Acts 16 last week about Paul's visit to the Philippians? It's okay if you didn't, we read parts of it. Was Paul's time in Philippi when he was there all sunshine and rainbows? No. It wasn't. He ended up in jail again for another time, if you recall, right? Yet he can still look back at this city and these people and be thankful to the Lord for the visit and the people. Like Paul, we can't allow a few struggles to rob us of gratitude and joy. We have to recognize that Jesus has already taken care of our greatest problem through the cross and his resurrection. And when our focus is on the gospel, it is hard not to rejoice. Now, it's not always easy to remember it during our circumstances, though, is it? So I gave someone Psalm 42. It's longer, so I apologize.
2: Of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls, all your ways. Day the lord directs his love at night his songs with me a prayer to the god in my life i say to god my rock why have you forgotten me why must i go about mourning oppressed by the enemy my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt saying to me all day long where is your god why my soul are you downcast why so disturbed within me put your hope in god for i will yet praise him my savior
0: Pam, I think you probably are one of the most fun moms to read books to your kids. (laughs) It was just, it was wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So Psalm 42, the author starts out, he's, he's wrestling through despondency, right? He is struggling to find God in the midst of his circumstance as he longs for him. But then he starts, he starts talking. And who's he talking to? Himself. He's talking to himself. He's actually preaching to himself. He's reminding himself that his hope is in the Lord. This was not a conversation with another person. This was not him encouraging someone else. This was him reminding himself to put his focus where it needed to be. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, you need to preach this gospel to yourself instead of listening to yourself. That's how we find the ability to pray with joy. And, and sometimes we can get so overwhelmed with the list of needs. I, I had, um, at, at the school, we have these affinity groups, different groups of teachers that we get together each week and we pray for each other. And, and this morning I met with my group before school started. And it was, it was this long-term situation that they're really struggling through and that long-term situation that they're really struggling through and this long-term situation and, and these parents that are struggling through something and how do I support those parents type of, of prayer requests. These are heavy things. And we could have gotten bogged down with the weight of those requests. Or we can look at prayer in light of the gospel, and we can pray with joy. And so that's, that's where our challenge is to be like Paul and try to pray with joy, is being able to focus on the gospel and not on the circumstance. And then we get to verse five. Um someone has Philippians one, five.
1: Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day
0: until now. And so why is Paul thanking God and praying with joy for the Philippians? Because of their continued partnership with him. Their partnership. With him. That word partnership is is the Greek word koinonia, probably a word you've heard before. Um, it is used six times in this letter. It is often translated as fellowship, but it's a gospel-centered friendship. It's a friendship that is much deeper due to a dependence on Christ. They are united by the Holy Spirit. And because of this partnership, they, a group of sinners, have come together and have a better, a better way to deal with their conflict and their differences. This is more than just hanging out and being social, though that is part of it. But there's a common mission between Paul and the Philippians of making the gospel known to the world. It is a gospel-centered friendship with a deep priority for the message of the gospel. Paul is seeing them as co-workers on his mission. Tony Merida um, was the author of the Christ-centered expository commentary. He says, sadly, many see the church as an audience of customers to please rather than a group of co-workers who spread the gospel all week then gather to encourage one another. That's our challenge. As we go to church, do we see... Co-workers. Do we see koinonia? Then in thinking about this Koinonia fellowship, we look at verse six. So read Philippians 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so based on the context surround the surrounding verses, we know Paul is talking about the individuals and their salvation, as well as the work of the Philippian fellowship. God started a work, God continues to work, and God will complete the work. And When I grade papers for my students, I look at two things. First I look whether they actually attempted every problem, and if they completed the assignment, and then they get a certain amount of points based on that. And then I look at whether or not they did them correctly. Now you would think, just attempting the questions, they just have to write something down or draw a picture. You would think that would be really easy, like easy points to get, right? <laughs> they don't. These high school students do not finish their homework, but then expect, they, they ask, well, why didn't I get a good grade? Because you didn't do the assignment, right? So, but God is not like these high school students. Every task he starts, he carries on to completion. It is a sure thing. God is working for us and in us, and we cannot, we cannot work our way into earning God's favor or maintaining God's favor because he already did that for us. And so when God carries these works to completion in people's lives, they bear fruit. And Paul saw evidence of this in their lives, that they were demonstrating a life of faithfulness. And then we'll read Philippians 1-7.
1: It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me.
0: They share in God's grace because they are partners in the gospel. They are defending and establishing the gospel, and it continues throughout. Paul rejoices that they are living out their faith. But this is also a point where Paul shows his deep affection for the Philippians. It's an intense emotion, a deep, true passion. Paul holds them in his heart. He delights in his friends. And that friendship, that fellowship, that koinonia is forged by the unbreakable bond of the Spirit. But then he goes on and, and we'll reread verse 8.
1: For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus.
0: That word for affection here in the Greek is the intestines or the internal organs. <laughs> it's the way they said it feeling it deeply in his soul it is a deep compassion they were partners the the Philippians were partners with Paul in that they had supported him with prayer and finances and even though imprisonment brought great shame at this time they weren't ashamed of him being in jail they sent people. They sent money. They sent letters to him. They were true partners and he loved them deeply for it. And then we get to um, Philippians 1 verses 9 through 11.
1: depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God.
0: Paul concludes this section with a specific or or some specific requests for the Philippian people. Paul is concerned about their growth, their spiritual growth. This is something that should be guiding our prayers. Our prayers for our spouse, our children, our our friends, if we have a mentor-mentee relationship. We should be concerned for their spiritual growth, and that should fuel our prayers. But Paul also, he he points out, we can see in these three verses his, his deep love for the people. He prays that their love, he, he points out for them the, the priority of love. Sorry, I skipped a line. He prays that their love would abound more and more. It was a greater love both for God and for each other. But the more they love God, the more you love God the more you can love others. Love is a mark of a Christian. It is essential for unity, and it is a powerful witness to a watching world. But then Paul prays for their knowledge and discernment. Um, I was talking to my kids yesterday. Catherine has discovered she likes bell peppers, which is great because she Will not eat vegetables. So she was eating pepper strips last night, dipped them in ranch. I don't care. She was eating a vegetable. But then she's like, "But mom, they have seeds inside. These are the conversations we have at dinner, right? They have seeds inside, they're a fruit. So then we got into the whole debate: What's a fruit and what's a vegetable, and what makes it that way? Had to look up botanically, peppers are fruits culinarily, peppers are vegetables, so we 're going with the culinary definition. She was eating a vegetable, <laughs> but it got us talking about the i said i was said that I was looking at this knowledge knowledge and discernment, um, some versions say knowledge and wisdom. Um, that knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are a fruit; they have the seeds inside them, so botanically they are fruit. Wisdom is knowing that tomatoes don't belong in a fruit salad, right? So, welcome to my dinner table. <laughs> um, but, but Paul is is here; he's praying for both knowledge and for discernment. Discernment. Um, knowledge is, is this God-given insight. It's, it's that f- not knowing fully different things, uh, knowing the word of God, knowing love, uh, and knowing the knowledge of how Jesus, that Jesus loves us is necessary if we want to walk in love. And then there's that word discernment. This is the only place in the New Testament that this word is used, though 22 times it's used in the Old Testament, mostly in Proverbs. And that discernment is knowing how to use that knowledge. And so knowledge asks what is right and discernment asks what is best. This is something we should be praying for, for God to answer. It's what is the best way for me to love this person based on your word. That's knowledge and discernment. And the, the beauty of this request from Paul is that the answer is found in James 1 verse 5. James says, if we ask, we will receive it. If we say, God, give me knowledge and discernment, God is going to grant that to you. We just have to ask. And then Paul um, shows us love's prophet. And to... Um, to approve something when it says um, in verse 10 so that you may approve what is excellent to approve something is is a, a method of testing the metal in coins at the time was a, a method for testing metal coins to know if they were pure or if they had been uh, had something else hidden inside it you know I get I teach physics, right? I got to teach um, last year about Archimedes in my physics class. If you don't know who Archimedes is, he was a Greek who um, figured out by him getting into a bathtub how he could figure out the density of an object because of that displacement of water, right? And so he jumps out of the bathtub and runs up and down the streets yelling, Eureka, Eureka! because he had been asked by the king, I need to know that this crown was made with all the gold that I had given to the metalsmith and that he didn't put something else in it and then kept some of my gold, right? And so Archimedes figured out a way to approve a medal. Today, we we don't think about that because, I mean, there are counterfeit bills and things like that, but counterfeit coins are hard to, hard to make. And so, um, but we can think about it as, as sports tryouts, auditions for a play, food tastings. And so that's, um, that's what that approve means. But then it's, it's purity, um, uh, and so be pure and blameless. Pure is an authentic life of integrity, a character that does not crack under pressure. There's no inconsistency in what one confesses to believe and how one lives. And then blameless is that outer character. It's the, the no moral failure without causing others to stumble. This was not Paul saying that you need to clean up your life, but it was that you need to grow in Christlikeness as one who already knows Jesus. Paul is praying for them to be pure and blameless because he is praying that they would become who they were created to be. And then it says, "Until the day, uh, blameless for the day of Christ." That's the perseverance of love. It's that no matter how long it takes, this is this is my my prayer. Uh, this is the steadfast and selfless love. And then it says, "It's the." Um, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ that that fruit of righteousness that is the what is produced from love this is what began at conversion but is the practical conformity to Christ not not the righteousness of the Philippians, but the righteousness of the Philippians through Jesus Christ. And Paul's highest desire is that last line, to the glory and praise of God. His highest desire is bringing praise to God through this prayer, that the people of Philippi would would do that, that he would do that, that their relationship would do that, and that the gospel would do that. And we're going to close with John 15 verses 4 through 8.
1: doesn't live in me is thrown away like a branch and dries up. Branches like this are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. If you live in me and what I say lives in you, then ask for anything you want, and it will be yours. You give glory to my Father when you produce a lot of fruit, and therefore show that you are my disciples.
0: In essence, Paul is praying this passage over the the Philippians. He is saying, stay close to the gospel, stay close to God. God will be with you and you will bear fruit. So next week, if you look at your schedule, we're not doing a new section of scripture we're we're having a a focused time of prayer and what we're going to do is actually walk through this prayer in philippians again and how we can practically pray this for other people and so your homework for the week you're going to get it on the last one of your um, uh, small group questions is to actually write out a prayer for someone, some partner in the gospel, doesn't have to be like Paul's, but just the practice of writing out a prayer, um, because then next week we're going to, we're not going to check your prayers or anything like that. You don't have to turn them in. I'm not even going to look if they were complete, right? I'm not going to give you a grade, but but it's that it's it's getting that mindset of praying some of these things for other people, praying some of these things for ourselves um, and and thinking through it like that. So I would encourage you to to do that this week, um, but reread verses three through 11 um, a few times this week. Just when you have a few minutes, you're you're waiting, pull it out, you know waiting for your water to boil on your stove. Oh, that's enough time. And and read those verses just to get yourself in that mindset of thanksgiving and prayer so that we can be ready for next week. And you are dismissed to your small groups.